The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. The good thing with community is you fall in love with people. The bad thing with community is you fall in love with people. Not the bad thing, the hard thing. Years ago, I came across Donald Winnicott's notion of the good enough parent. Winnicott, who was a British pediatrician and psychoanalyst, coined the term in the early 1950s for the idea that what we all needed to grow up healthy and functional, even better than functional, was not a great mother or a great father, not the perfect parent, but the good enough one. The one who kept you reasonably safe, who provided reasonably for your basic needs, hopefully instilled a sense that you were loved and seen, but not perfectly. Frustration, it turns out, is actually necessary for some of our growth to happen, and some disillusionment is necessary too. So if you had the perfect parent, we're sorry. The rest of us with our good enough parents feel badly for you. And those whose parenting fell even below the standard of good enough, to them let me say that we pay homage to your incredible capacity and instinct to find a way to healing and wholeness. In our own ways, we all rely on that instinct. The idea of a good enough parent was a relief to me as someone who was someday possibly facing the challenge of parenting, but the idea took hold in a bigger way. As some of you know, because I've talked about it before, it became a joke in my family, one we still trot out periodically. You know, when we talk about tonight's the good enough dinner, everybody, or these are the good enough holiday decorations. <laughs> Well, that was the good enough workout. The good enough. Whatever you did in which no one died and you met the bar, that you could celebrate on some days as good enough. And why? Because life is big and it has a lot of demands. And some days the victory is to meet the basic requirements of it all or get close. Good enough. Yet yeah, the virtues and blessings of good enough noted in the book of life as a piece of wisdom to rely on for most of us leaves a little bit to be desired because there are some places, some pieces of each of us that sometimes want or yearn to be more than good enough Good enough may not be what we want written on our epitaph. John Buren's sent me some lines he learned long ago, written by a now anonymous poet that went, of all the fears to which my mind was host, I forever feared mediocrity the most, too dull the kindling 
or too weak the spark. So maybe what needs to be named is some fear we all have of mediocrity, that good enough can maybe get too close to on some days, or maybe, maybe we also, from time to time, yearn for some greatness in ourselves. But what does that mean? What is greatness? Well, as fate would have it, the first part of this year gave three wonderful, inspiring examples. In February, we hosted three memorial services here for members, all people who were some kind of great. Janine Bray, Raj Desai, Donald Heineman. It was an honor to witness the telling of just some of their life stories, how each contributed to larger learning, was an active part of communities of service and care. Each served organizations and institutions that themselves served larger values, how all of them were curious, ongoing learners, passionate about life, how they were all great parents, great grandparents if they had grandchildren, great friends, and despite all this greatness, they were all warm and deeply, generously humble. They were the complete opposite of a local CEO whose company is vying for survival here in the Bay Area, a person who, it is rumored, recently put a significant number of the remaining staff on a project to raise his online visibility or hits. So if you woke up one morning to a Twitter feed that had only tweets by this CEO, you experienced the engineering, the efforts of this engineering effort firsthand. This is a person who, by all accounts, fires people at will for minor infractions or no infractions at all. And this last week, who went on a racist rant in support of the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, who himself went on a racist rant. Greatness in a life, like the lives we honored here recently, is the opposite of that. I am increasingly convinced that a great life doesn't leave a lot of carnage behind it. It doesn't brutalize people. That's part of what it means to lead a great life. Or if it has done either of those things, it spends the better part of a life at the end working double time to repair and heal and clean up that carnage. Greatness is not all puff and narcissistic self-reference because it doesn't care about selling ads or getting hits. The people whose lives we celebrated here, if you sat next to them at dinner, would strike you by how warm they were, how seen and heard you felt, and you might well walk away with no idea of all the fingerprints that they pressed gorgeously everywhere they could in this world.
That was their greatness, this heartbreaking, gorgeous kind. Greatness. Years ago, I had a revelation that I cannot believe I had to have. Have you ever had one of those? That's so dumb that the moment you have it, you can't believe you had to have it. So let me go back a little bit, give some context. In my elementary school in Los Angeles, the classrooms that were experimental in model were all set up so we worked on our own work. So when it was reading time, we went to this little area and we did whatever reading units we needed to, and at math time, we did our math units, and we got help when we needed it, and otherwise we just moseyed along in our little selves, coming back to the big group when it was time for recess or singing or lunch, and I learned in that school, among other things, the joy of just getting lost and diving into your own work. And the freedom that I took for granted of no self-consciousness or even awareness of how we were finishing faster or slower than other people. It was such a gift. Fast forward a few years, and I'm in New York City in a much more traditional school setting. And this was a world that probably <clears throat> most of you are familiar with, where you're all doing the same work in a classroom, in your rows of desks at the same time. The world where you begin to know who is good in a subject. I love that word, good in a subject, and who struggled, and who got what score. And high school was the same, just more competitive. And college had this thing called a forced curve. And in this world, there were winners and people who came in second and those who were at the bottom and you knew which you wanted to be and that fear and the shallow pride somewhere in that mix motivated you or it did me kind of push forward so without thinking I got into a kind of mindset as my divinity school professor, John Levinson, a brilliant scholar of Jewish theology, said tongue in cheek once, I don't like sharing. There will be no sharing in my classroom. When I have a piece of pie and I share it, I get less pie. I don't like sharing. <laughs> so there was no sharing, which is pretty familiar only ranking. And so it went. So it goes. Until I graduated from seminary and was in my first church, and somewhere early in that journey, I heard about something that a colleague did in their faraway city that was extraordinary. And in the moment of hearing it, I felt this knee-jerk feeling of envy and discomfort at someone else's accomplishment. Like the pie of life was limited and their joy meant less was available for me. Toni Morrison said decades ago of greatness, if you can only be tall because somebody else is on their knees, then you have a serious problem. 
in a way, that was my problem. Which is to say, I noticed this feeling in myself, and when I paid attention to it, this other voice came out to speak. This voice that said this really dumb and obvious thing that I needed to hear. It said, Vanessa, you can't be the minister in St. Louis and Topeka and Reno and Austin and all the places that need ministers, and you don't want to be the minister in all those places. And all those people, they need and deserve great ministry and great churches. Every town, every hospice center, every hospital, every place ministry can be done is a place where you want to see great ministry happen. And none of it, none of that, not even one whit diminishes anything you and your church make possible. It only makes the world brighter. And how absurd to think for even one moment that that wasn't true. So in one moment, I had this pivot for the better part of a lifetime. I had lived in competition and fear, desperately wanting to shine. And all of a sudden, I wanted everyone to shine. I wanted everyone to rock the world around them. All of a sudden, I was liberated to cheerlead the university. Greatness, as Toni Morrison said, doesn't want anyone on their knees, not for us to feel good. Greatness lifts other people up, everyone. And there is a magic to this way of being. It has this momentum and this scale. As Hafiz, the 14th century, Persian lyric poet in a poem translated by Daniel Ladinsky, as the poet writes, at this party, at this party, I don't want to be the only one here telling all the secrets, filling all the bowls up at this party, taking all the laughs. I would like you to start putting things on the table that can also feed the soul the way I do, that that way we can invite a hell of a lot more friends. This way of being in the world around greatness is about seeing the world, right, not as a competition where there are only a few great folks, but where we are all liberated and cheered on to bring our own version of great to the party. This to me, this to me is the magic of church when it happens. This is part of what I think church teaches that I don't think gets taught in a lot of other places in an embodied, practiced way. There are some basic ways this is true. I mean, some really obvious ways, if you think about it. At church, we want everyone to grow in wisdom, for instance, because when they grow in wisdom, then when we're in conversation in groups with them, they help us along the learning curve, right? 
And we want everyone to be joyful because joy is infectious and we want to catch that virus as much and as often as possible. But also, we can't do all we want to see done in the world. Here, outside these walls, we can't do it by ourselves. And so it's such a relief when you see other people carrying a piece of the load. It's just more evidence that we might actually make our dreams come true. So if she welcomes visitors at the door with a smile, and they balance the books, and he, Ben Bear, makes a mean lasagna for 70 of our unhoused neighbors who are staying overnight. And he leads them in singing, and they sing their different parts in four-part harmony. And he geeks out on bylaws, and she makes sure contracts are written carefully to protect us from liability issues, and they invest our endowments so they serve our values and get a good return, a fair return, and she brings the organ to life, using all of her limbs at once. <laughs> and they run the cameras, and he runs the chat, and among them, they're instilling Unitarian Universalist values in our children and our youth. And those people come every Wednesday morning and they stand on our steps to witness to the injustices of the week at rush hour so people can see that it matters to us here. And she serves cake today so that people feel loved and thanked and taken care of. And others visit folks in the hospital on the way home today and still others. Bob Bacon makes sure to protest every life threatened with a death penalty as he has for two decades now. And still others bless the babies and sign the wedding licenses and say the prayers of mourning and thanksgiving over the deceased, all of it. And so much we cannot name because I need to get you out in 11 minutes. <laughs> if everyone plays their part with heart and soul as best they can, fabulously on some days and good enough on others, then together we are great. And frankly, in no other way can we be great. Church teaches us about that greatness, the one we yearn for. Look close and you see, quote, a ragged band of miracle workers, writes theologian Renita Weems. Ragged because we're often contentious, scared, lazy, undependable, and in a word, flawed. Miracle workers, because we've had to take this straw and build a cathedral of hope for every generation that crossed our threshold. Look close. Church makes something of us, and we make something of it something amazing, as we always have 
and they did, the cloud of witnesses did. So yes, my beloveds, let's make it a banner year, lifting others up, no one on their knees, cheering on the good everywhere, humble and passionate, somehow making a cathedral of hope out of the straw and yearnings of our sweet and really more than good enough lives. Greatness taking root as we go. So may it be again and again and again and for another year May we be the ones who make it so. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Great to see so many of you here. And welcome to all watching online. Dolores and I were pleased to help with the pledge this year. We hope this introduction will give you some insight as to why we believe in this institution and why it means so much to us personally. While Dolores has been a member of the church for about 30 years, I am somewhat of a newcomer. When my first wife died in 2016, I started looking for community. I remembered that as a young man, I had liked my brief experience at the San Jose Unitarian Church. So I sought out the Unitarians again. I not only found an interesting community, but also my wonderful wife, Dolores. <laughs> For which I am so grateful. I cherish our happy marriage performed by Reverend Dr. John Burens. And I think we have some pictures, here we go. There we, are. there we are. Yes, David and I owe much to this institution, not only on a personal level by bringing us together, but for the benefits we derive from the society whose values we share. One of my favorite Americans is Henry David Thoreau, author of Civil Disobedience. But I did not know the connection between Thoreau and the Unitarian Transcendentalists. 30 years ago, I only came into this building to attend a training with anti-war activists in the Thomas Starr King Room down the gallery. A flyer was posted in the gallery advertising a box symposium with the Reverend Alexander Post. I attended and it was magnificent. I started coming here on Sunday mornings just to hear the free music. Of course, listening to the sermons, I discovered the history of UTU activism, the abolitionists, leaders of the women's movement, and of course, the transcendentalists. Music brought me here. Later, I found my niche here and joined in many UUSF anti-war and human rights actions. Any of you getting arrested? 
I love listening to the choir sing on Sundays as directed by Mark Sumner and the organ played by Rico Odelaine. Exciting that is. It's like being at the movies. <laughs> Dolores and my relationship started on a bumpy note, though, when I, a former professor at UCSF, first met Dolores and became interested, I gave her my business card showing that I was a consulting PhD in biostatistics. Her response showed her dismay. She said, she said, oh, you should know that I flunked trigonometry. <laughs> she clearly felt that our backgrounds did not mesh well. Later, I tried to introduce her to the intuitive concepts of calculus, derivatives, and integrals and to show her how they relate to each other with a simple function, y equals x squared. Her response was, and still is always, I don't need to know calculus, I have a calculator. <laughs> this story is just to show that we are very different, yet we discovered our differences and strengths are complementary, fun, and enrich our relationship. I have to say, she's the organizer. I'm more the follower. <laughs> she's That's very good at, very good at organizing things. I say, vive la différence. And during our lively courtship, we overcame many obstacles. As our wedding cake stated, amor vincit omnia. Love conquers all. <laughs> oh, David, that is very sweet of you and so true. Our differences in strengths at time mirror what we observe here, with UU members having diverse ideas, talents, and backgrounds, but work cooperatively in various groups. As our covenant states, we come together to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and freedom, and to help one another. The opportunities to participate here abound. To name a few, social justice activities and forum discussions. And by the way, this month we're going to be discussing two of the most important issues before us, I believe. The war in, Iraq, uh, the war in Ukraine <laughs> and climate, climate change. change. Also, the needleworkers, book club, book clubs, book review clubs, I'm sorry, children's classes, women's rights, men's and young adult groups, pagans, and a pastoral care ministry, and many more interest groups listed on our UUSF.org website. The flame 
news appears on this website every Wednesday and monthly. And uh, there are a variety of activities shown here. Central to our Sunday experience are the spiritual and life-enhancing sermons of Senior Minister Reverend Vanessa Southern. <laughs> the beliefs, values, and moral concepts of this institution are set forth in the seven, soon to be eight, Unitarian Universalist principles. And learning about the historical public stands on justice taken by our early Unitarian Universalist forebears right down to the present day, is very inspirational. An important part of our growth and change at UUSF is being aware of the demographics and different cultures in this city and more sensitive to the needs of people of color and our LGBTQ friends and loved ones. This past year, the church staff has faced the special problems of the pandemic, floods, and other issues very successfully, thanks to Reverend Laura Shenham, Dan Bernard, Laura Ludwig, Susanna Bernaola, Jonathan Silk, Joe Chapeau, Judy Strachan, Thomas Brown, Roberto De La O, Kelvin Jones, and others. Now that the pandemic is fading, we can bask in the sun a bit, but we must continue to strengthen and improve our capabilities. We therefore ask you now to please contribute whatever you can afford for this pledge year to keep our UUSF ship sailing strongly forward. We hope to maintain last year's goal of raising $750,000. Soon we will be hoisting new colorful banners proclaiming our identity, where banners used to hang on Star King Way. There's supposed to be a pic. There they are. There we are. That's the old way. Yeah. Yeah. It fell apart. It fell actually. apart. <laughs> In the gallery now, there is a mock-up of sample draft language for the new banners. On the next two Sundays, we invite everyone online and in person to suggest specific words or phrases for the banners, for the new banners. The third week, we will roll out the final banner designs, and then they will go up for the world to see. This will be an event worth celebrating. So please visit, visit the pledge table in the gallery you will be welcomed with co coffee and cake. And two more things. If you want to make your pledge today, forms are available. And if you make a pledge or already have done so, please sign your name on the bunting and we'll hang it up. Thank you in advance for your generosity and above all, working together as a diverse, joyous, justice-seeking congregation. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Let's, Let's make, make this a banner year. year. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. One more thing. Back to our terrific musicians. I have a special request for the future. Are you listening up there?
And that is, could we have a few more Mexican songs sometimes? <laughs> <laughs>